Welcome to the Front Office Exchange, where we take a look at the careers of executives and rising stars within the sports business. Now, here's your host, Jake Failing. Welcome to episode 24 of the Front Office Exchange podcast, where today we'll hear from Corey Breton, Executive Vice President of Sales for the Los Angeles Football Club, which is an MLS expansion team set to begin play in 2018. Thank you, first of all, to all the thousands of emails, hundreds of thousands of emails, comments about when I'll finally bring on someone from professional soccer. Okay, okay. Maybe that was a little dramatic, but uh, no, I was excited to have someone on finally for professional soccer. I grew up playing soccer, so uh, I was excited to have this interview. Corey's in a unique hurry up and wait type of situation in LA while they work on building a stadium and launching a team. And since he joined the club last year, LA has added not one, but two NFL teams. Um, He talks about that increase in ticket buyer competition and much more over the course of our conversation. He was full of great advice uh, with a couple things that really stood out to me. One, render more services than your paycheck calls for. Love that. And then two, if you focus too much on the next step, it never comes. You've got to put blinders on and do the great work now. He shared what it was like to move his family to the West Coast as well after an early career uh, that saw him spend much time in the Southeast with the Atlanta Hawks and the Midwest as well. So without further ado, LAFC's Corey Breton. Corey Breton, welcome to the Front Office Exchange. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Sure. Now, uh, you are Executive Vice President of Sales for Los Angeles Football Club, correct? That is correct, yes. All right, so LAFC, um, and you don't begin play until 2018, correct? Yep, that is correct. Right, so, so, we're, so hurry we're, up and wait right now, right? <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, and, it, and it's amazing to go ahead and, and look at the calendar and realize that um, all, everything that we need to do to, to go ahead and get this up and running in such a short amount of time, and that's even us starting way back in 2015, how quickly the time flies um, and how many different projects are going on. So we're excited. Uh, I, I would say a little anxious and at the same time probably a little bit of nervousness as well. Look at down uh, you know, the final 14 to 16 months here to, to go ahead and get this thing off the ground. Yeah, and you joined them in the summer of 2015, correct? Yep, I came on in August of 2015. At that point in time, um, you know, we had yet to even decide on a name for the club. Uh, we hadn't yet, um, you know, made any decisions on the colors, the crest. And so really at that point in time, um, we had the rights to the team, and we knew we were going down the lines with an architect on the stadium design. Uh, but we really hadn't, hadn't done anything, I would say, tangible to that point outside of making the announcement that the club was coming. So it was, it was really unique. Um, at that point in time, there was only 12 employees. I was the first one on the sales side to, to go to be hired. Um, and then now today we look in and we're at, you know, 40 to, to 45 employees total across the organization and probably looking to go ahead and, and add another, you know, 20 to 25 um, in this calendar year alone. So, you know, people hear the the term startup all the time. Um, but when you think of MLS, Major League Soccer, and these other groups, you don't think of startups. But this, an expansion club, I mean, that's as close to a startup as you can get. I mean, it is a startup. So you, you talk about being one of the first employees there. So what's that been like for you just in your career, having gone from these established clubs to now one where you're building it from the ground up? Yeah, phenomenal question. Um I would say that that was one of the the, the leading um, 
items uh, as far as in my decision-making process to go in and take a look at this opportunity. And, you know, to kind of put it in perspective, uh, I came from the Minnesota Timberwolves where I was a VP of ticket sales and service with them. And when I arrived, we we're celebrating our 25th season. Um, and 25 years in the NBA, you know, is fairly young. And so you're still trying to go ahead and build out um, history, um, you know, and from that perspective, you're trying to still focus on building out your brand. And, uh, you know, in the marketplace in Minnesota, the, the Timberwolves, you know, the Twins had been there, the Vikings had been there, the Gophers um, outside of the wild, which had, had been there and then left and then came back. I mean, we were the youngest franchise in the market. And so to think that, you know, transitioning from a 25-year team um, to a team that has yet to go ahead and take the pitch um, has been a crazy, crazy experience. And, you know, I would say that all the items that I took for granted um, that were kind of commonplace, that we already had the systems, the processes, the structure in place w within the other organizations I've had the, the fortunate ability to go to work for, you have to build everything from scratch and from the simplest things, you know, that, that you really do take for granted. And so I think that's been the unique um, I think patience has uh, has been a, a key word throughout this process and understanding that, you know, it doesn't necessarily need to happen today. Um, and just because it's important in your world doesn't necessarily mean it's important in the organization's world and trying to go ahead and prioritize um, the list of, uh, of items because it's a never-ending list. And so from that perspective, working as a team and being able to go ahead and outline what are our key objectives as an organization, what's the main thing we need to accomplish today, what's the main thing we need to accomplish this month, and what's the main thing we need to accomplish this year, and really prioritizing uh, your items out as an organization in order to make sure that come 2018, that first home, home match, that we are in a sold-out atmosphere and, uh, and we put ourselves in the best position to, to go ahead and be successful. Um, and the final thing I'll note on that. You know, the unique thing coming into it is, you know, there, there isn't any scar tissue, there isn't any pre, preconceived notions um, or misconceptions in the marketplace about the brand. And so everything that the, the market is going to go ahead and see, touch, taste, as in regards to LAFC, it's the first time it's ever been exposed to LAFC. And so we have a rare opportunity with an expansion franchise to really create the story and uh, and there isn't any money Monday morning quarterback situations uh, where people can second guess. You know, we haven't made a bad player decision yet. We haven't hired a, a poor coach or a coach that 50% of the marketplace doesn't uh, doesn't agree with. Um, we haven't lost a match yet. So we, you know, since I arrived in 2015, I've told people this is the best job I've ever had. As as we're undefeated for three years, um, there's no better situation in sports than than that alone. Right. And I have to call you out. You used pitch earlier. So you're an NBA guy. I mean, have you gotten the, the soccer vocabulary down? <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you catching me. Um, I've tried. You know, I, I think uh, the unique thing about soccer, um, and I would say in the United States, is, is that I, I didn't grow up with the sport per se. I'm a little too old on the back end, um, you know, before it became insanely popular. But I think if you go ahead and look at, you know, anybody – from the age of, of five all the way through 35, probably grew up playing the sport in some way, shape, or form. And for me, um, I think that's another piece that, that's been, not to say revitalizing, but it, it's been great to go ahead and learn the nuances of a new sport, um, to go ahead and play some, some pickup futsal with, with the guys on the, on the team, the guys and gals on the team who actually play. 
Um, and they've, they made, they've certainly embarrassed me out there. Uh, but at the same time, to go ahead and, and look at, you know, EPL and, and pick out a team and follow a team and a club and become uh, uh, familiar with it. And, and, you know, I think the biggest surprise, positive surprise, um, has been the passion of the fan. Um, I, I'm not quite sure the supporter culture that exists in the MLS and in soccer alone really carries over to any of the other American sports like NFL, NHL, Major League Baseball, and NBA. And that's not to say that they don't have passionate fans, but when you turn on, on an MLS match and you're looking at the Portland Timbers or Sporting KC and you look in those end zones and you see a group of individuals that stand the entire time and they have the TIFOs hanging, I mean, they are the energy. They are the heartbeat of the stadium. That's what makes, the, you know, I think an MLS match unique and different. Um, I, I do believe that that is a differentiating point, and that's why so many folks are being drawn to it is, uh, is because of that supporter culture. And so from my perspective, it's been phenomenal. Um, I'd say revitalization, rejuvenation, to, to go ahead and be exposed to something like that. And it's extremely exciting to, to know that we're going to have an opportunity here in the city of city of LA, in the heart of the city, less than two miles from downtown where our stadium will be set up to really, you know, go ahead and build something from scratch like that out where there's a, a, a certain, um, I'd say connection to civic pride. Um, there's certainly a connection to the team on the pitch, uh, but more importantly, it's about the community um, and about the folks that, that you're lined up next, next to and be able to come together for 90 minutes, um, kind of take down any of those barriers that might exist outside that stadium and that is that those are your those are your true friends at that at that moment. Right. But and I was giving you a hard time, but let's take it to the business side. And I know that, you know, when you're in basketball, you're not only looking for people that have had basketball business careers. When you're in soccer, you're only looking for people with soccer business careers. But how does uh, a basketball guy, someone who's been his entire career in the NBA, position sell himself in that interview process with LA or did they make it very clear at the outset that hey we're looking at other large professional organizations that have done it right individuals that have done it well and that's what we're looking for yeah uh, I think it's a great question um, you know I, I don't necessarily know if I'm in a, a position to say what uh, LAFC's mindset was heading into it um, but I will say that you know as I've had the opportunity, fortunate opportunity to kind of move from market to market, you know, I've worked for the Phoenix Suns, um, who at the time had other properties as well. So there was the Phoenix Roadrunners, which was an ECHL team. Uh, there was the Phoenix Mercury, which is a WNBA team. Um, and then we also had an arena league football team, uh, you know, and so from that perspective, had the opportunity to sell a variety of different products. Then I moved to Atlanta um, and at that point in time, they had two professional franchises, the Atlanta Thrashers and the Atlanta Hawks. And both of those properties really appeal to completely two, two different, uh, completely different demos. And so you're, you're having to go ahead and, and once again, transition to a new marketplace because Atlanta is different than Phoenix, but also trying to sell NHL and NBA in the same market in the same building during the same sales timeline as well. And then I was able to transition to Minnesota where we had multiple properties with the WNBA team, Minnesota Lynx, and obviously the Minnesota Timberwolves. And so I think that what I've learned throughout that process is sales is sales is sales. Um, you know, if you have a, a, a good structure, a good foundation, a good process in place, um, and the way you, ro you, know, you really teach, coach your sales team and yourself to roll through that process, 
whether you're selling minor league hockey in Phoenix, uh, which might not sound like a fit, or if you're selling hockey in the South or NBA, um, you know, up in the state of hockey in Minnesota, you have the opportunity. The opportunity is there for you to go ahead and, and see success. And I think it all comes back. I was fortunate enough to start um, under great leadership in Phoenix. They taught me the right foundation, the right process, and I've kind of carried that through each of the stops. And so I think, um, you know, from my seat, my personal seat is I have 100% confidence in, in the process that I've been taught and be able to go ahead and execute on that and replicate it regardless of the city, uh, regardless of the market, and regardless of the sport. Um, and, and I think thus far we've proven that here in, in, in L.A. with some of the early wins we've gotten. We have a long way to go, but some of the early wins. And then the, the, the previous stops I've been at, we've been able to go ahead and see success in each of those too. So, um, you know, I, I might not necessarily be um, able to go ahead and articulate every nuance of the sport, but I believe that the sales side can go ahead and carry over. And what I can learn is I can read books on the sport. I can read books and, and look into different uh, articles about the market and really familiarize myself, as long as you have a strong foundation, you're able to overcome some of those other elements. Sure. Now, we don't need to rehash every single stop. I mean, you just you just did that. Um, but I'd love <laughs> Sorry to... Sorry about that. Maybe no, I jumped the gun. No, no, no. It's great. It's perfect. Uh, you know, for... I think what would be helpful, though, is, you know, you were in Atlanta the longest. Um, you got your, your break into the career with Phoenix. That's how uh, I was introduced to you through Carlos Kesber, someone we had on the podcast previously, but wanted to hear from you. So was that, you know, the move from Phoenix to Atlanta where you recruited away and then after spending, you know, a, a decent amount of time in Atlanta, you know, about eight years, it looks like, um, it, was that a difficult decision for you to move to Minnesota or was just that promotional opportunity really the big driver? Yeah, no, gr- great questions again. Um, going back to the Phoenix and where I began, uh, I, I fell into it. I, I would say the opportunity with Phoenix. And what I mean by that is I, you know, when you're 22, 23 years old, coming out of college, I'm not quite sure I had a grasp on what great leadership was, or I knew what I was getting myself into. I was fortunate enough, lucky enough to go ahead and work for, a, I mean, a phenomenal, phenomenal organization. Um, they had leaders littered throughout that, that are icons in the industry. Um, and to get to work alongside individuals like a Carlos Kesbers, who's obviously doing phenomenal things and great things on his end, and there was a lot of other like-minded individuals that started at that specific time, I'd say in a two-year time frame with the Phoenix Suns, and we all pushed and, um, and kind of elevated each other. And through that, you know, I think what, what you find out is if you constantly are focused on the next step, the next step never comes. Um, but if you focus on your, your existing job, you put on the blinders and try to be the best you possibly can be, at your current job and, and, you know, kind of go above and beyond, as I like to say, you know, render more service than your paycheck calls for. Um, if you do that in your existing role, what you'll find is that pure through luck, osmosis, whatever you want to call it, individuals will come to you and say, hey, we have an opportunity. And the beautiful thing about the NBA, and I'm, I think I've been very fortunate to go ahead and start in that league, which is a very progressive league, uh, very helpful league from a career growth perspective where they're, they're willing to go ahead and kind of lend talent from team to team because it's all about, about the NBA. Hmm. Um, and the stronger the teams are, the stronger the league is. And it doesn't necessarily help to have one, two handful of teams dominate. Um, parity is a good thing on the business side. So from that perspective, I was fortunate enough to go ahead and, and start in, uh, in Phoenix with a great group of folks. 
from there, um, you know, there was a trainer that continuously came through and, and kind of taught us uh, the sales process. He traveled around to all the different NBA teams, and through my relationship with him, he made me aware of an opportunity in, in Atlanta. And so when I went out there, I uh, actually interviewed for the inside sales manager position, uh, which typically means you're overseeing entry-level staff, really where I'd just come from in the, the previous two years, and I'd be responsible for kind of building out that. Um, and so amazing opportunity in Atlanta. Uh, I think at that point in time, you know, um, the two teams was, was a unique, um, unique piece to it. And once again, great leadership. And at that point in time, I knew what great leadership looked like because I'd worked under it for two and a half, three years in Phoenix. And I was able to align myself with other great leaders in the industry from a Bernie Bolin to, to a Luda Pauly to a, a Brendan Donahue. And through that, I, I just knew that regardless of, you know, the job title, regardless of the responsibilities, regardless of what the job description looked like, I wanted to go and align myself with those individuals. And so I did so. And, uh, and I think that was one of the reasons why it led to such a long stay is over the course of that eight years, I was able to continue to grow internally. Um, they knew my aspirations, but at the same time, you know, it was never, I would never go to the door with my handout. Um, they might tell you a little bit different story, but uh, I felt like I didn't go continuously with my handout. I just try to go ahead and focus on my existing task and my existing job. And through their support, uh, through their help, their guidance, I was able to continuously take on more and more responsibility uh, within Atlanta. And so I think anytime you can grow within an organization, uh, definitely take advantage of that because when you do change from organization to organization, you know, not only is there a personal shift, but there's definitely a, a personal shift as well where you have to get acclimated. And sometimes that can take, you know, three, six months. Other times it can take a year to really go ahead and, and kind of shift gears. So um, I think that's what really led to, to me staying in Atlanta for eight years. And it was a, a phenomenal time there. Right. And then um, Minnesota, obviously it looks like you had a, a good couple of years there as well, which you, you've touched on. Um, and then, you know, for this, uh, if you could give a, a peek into, you know, one professionally, obviously it's a move to a major market. It's uh, a really unique opportunity, but personally as well uh, for you having, you know, moved, relocated around the country, you know, what that was like for you as well. Yeah, uh, great question as well. It's something that I, I, I would say uh, is frequently asked as far as how I've been able to go ahead and kind of move around the country. Yeah, you're just uh, missing the Northeast. You're just missing the Northeast now. I mean, you've dotted the country. That's that's your next step, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, after being in Los Angeles and, and understanding what uh, what 72 and sunny looks like every day, uh, I, I think believe the it. Northeast might might be a tough uh, tough pull. I so, believe it. Um, but, but being a guy from originally from Michigan, you know, there's certainly times where, you know, the snow is appealing. And so I'll, I'll never, I've never made a decision based on uh, geography. Um, I've always looked at it as, as what's the opportunity, um, what's the responsibility, and what's the ability to make an impact. And I think those three things have kind of driven. They've been my North Stars. I've looked at anything. And obviously, as I mentioned previously, aligning myself with great leaders. And so going back to Atlanta and the transition to, to Minnesota, um, you know, not to say I'd hit a glass ceiling, but I, I felt like it was, it was time for a new opportunity. Um, the individual who was in the VP position, you know, he, he had been in that role for, for a while. I knew he wasn't looking to go ahead and move on. And so it was either maintain my existing role and really go ahead and kind of plant myself in Atlanta or um, look for other opportunities. And, and once again, it was one of those things that kind of came out of the blue, wasn't necessarily seeking anything out. 
and uh, and put my hand in it and, and really saw Minnesota as a, as a phenomenal, phenomenal opportunity. Um, and I enjoyed my time there. Um, it was great uh, to, to go ahead and move up there. And then I think it was going to take another great opportunity um, to, to go ahead and, and have me look at moving from Minnesota. Um, and when this one came along, you know, not, not to, to go ahead and be morbid, but I always explained it as kind of my uh, tombstone moment. You know, I, I think it's very rare in sports, and I've been fortunate enough that this is this is my career. I don't necessarily know if I'll ever work outside the industry um, at this stage in my life, but uh, you know, looking at it, a expansion franchise. I mean, how rare is it to go ahead and, and work for a true expansion franchise, one that literally doesn't have a name, doesn't have a crest, doesn't have a stadium, doesn't have players, coaches. Um, I think that that was a real appeal for me. Uh, number two, to be part of a new stadium project. One of the driving forces in me leaving Atlanta and going to Minnesota is that they're working on a renovation of the of their arena, of Target Center, and I wanted to go ahead and be a part of that. Um, I wanted to get exposed to something that was unique and different on the construction side of the business. Work with Category One, Category Two subcontractors, and try to facilitate, you know, their bids and figure out new product design and, and elements and pricing matrices and all the other things that come with a new stadium build out. Um, that was a big draw for for me to to go ahead and move to LA and be able to be able to go ahead and and be a part of it, but potentially influence decisions on the premium product matrix or just the product matrix in general and how it's going to appeal to different demographics. And then the rollout process, the phase sales approach, and really to be able to do it, once again, going back to it with no scar tissue. You know, we didn't have a built-in database. And so how are you going to go ahead and build out a database and get all these people in line to purchase those? And the other flip side, and, and at that time I didn't know it, uh, but being exposed to the, to the corporate partnership side and be able to work on a naming rights deal um, and be able to assist with, with other founding partners as you know, I mean, every single category is open on our partnership side and be able to go ahead and work through that. So I think with uh, with the fact that expansion franchise, number two being a, a brand new stadium build out, and number three, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, it's the second largest market in the United States. Um, and so for, for me, for us, to be able to go ahead and build an expansion franchise from the ground up, um, and, and be able to go to work on an iconic, uh, what we call the Cathedral of Soccer Stadium. I mean, it's the largest investment in MLS history at $350 million. The amenities, the finishes, the touches in this stadium are going to go ahead and rival, if not exceed, anything else you'd find in the market. Um, was not just too amazing of an opportunity to go ahead and pass up. And so from a, a, a business side, a professional side, it made all the sense in the world. And I think on the personal side, too, you know, looking back, um, spending 13, 12, 12 years, I would say, in the NBA, working in the arena and the stadium side, um, in some cases working for two professional franchises, there isn't a year that goes by where, where you're not working less than probably 100 events a year above and beyond your traditional business hours. And after 12 years, um, going to the stadium three times a week, staying until 10 p.m., you know, going home, getting back up at, at 6 to get to the office by 7 um, you don't necessarily know what you're missing because that's all you know, but I think moving out here from a work-life balance and on a personal side uh, was some, somewhat appealing too, knowing that we wouldn't have a match until 2000, March of 2018, and that you know we're certainly going to – we've been holding events, but not at the pace of what you're accustomed to when you're working in the NBA or you know Major League Baseball, NHL, 
where you automatically know there's 44 events and then concerts and festivals and other things on top of that. So I think from a personal perspective, there was a little bit more of a work-life balance. And on the professional side, it is a little bit of that tombstone moment. And the fact you can go ahead and get all three of these opportunities wrapped into one, um, I don't I don't know if it'll ever if it'll ever happen again. I mean, we truly believe that we're the last true expansion franchise in the city of Los Angeles. You know, we have two teams in every major sport. Um, and so from that perspective, you know, the, 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 one of the few leagues that has the opportunity to grow is the MLS. Um, but if you look at New York city and LA, there's already two MLS teams. And I don't necessarily know if, if, if the league and or the city, uh, would be able to go ahead and, and kind of sustain a third right. team in, in the same league. So I think growth will occur elsewhere. Right. Well, well, you touched on my next question. So you're a sales guy, you're competitive. Um, you move out to LA and since you've moved two NFL teams have moved. Now that was obviously being discussed. Um, but you know, it just means more competition, more distraction, more things like that. So, you know, I'm sure that was something that you considered as well before you moved. And, and now even, you know, the paint's not even dry on the chargers move. Um, (laughs) what's that been like for you? Uh, yeah, another great question and unique timing uh, of our conversation. I sure. think when we originally scheduled it, it would have happened before <laughs> right. uh, the Chargers announcement. So it, it's great that it's uh, that it's happening now. And you know, I think if you're concerned about the competition, you lose focus on what's important. And mm-hmm. in every market, every market is competitive. And if you go into you know, say Atlanta, for instance. Um, SEC football was probably one of our biggest competitors of timeshare and money. And yet I moved to, you know, Minnesota and we have right in our backyard, I would say one of the best baseball stadiums in the nation. It's great. In target field. Yeah, it's great. And just a phenomenal experience. And then you have Minnesota Vikings building out their brand new stadium, which I haven't had the chance to tour the actual stadium, but I know I went through their sales center phenomenal stadium again and so i think every city there's a, a litany of i don't want to say excuses but challenges that exist and i think the more you focus your time energy and effort on those things the less you focus on what's important uh which number one is your people you know finding a way to go ahead and keep them motivated finding a way to to keep them focused on the main thing um and and really get out in front of it and sell with passion uh sell with excitement um, and, and for us, our entire goal has not to been necessarily sell products, push products. It's been an opportunity. I mean, we have a rare opportunity um, to, to go ahead and, and present to folks in the Los Angeles market, you know, where we're building out our stadium. It's an exposition park um, less than two miles from downtown. I mean, we are truly in the heart of the city next to one of the most iconic stadiums in, in all of sports in the Coliseum. I mean, it's held two uh, Olympics. And so for us, we don't have to retrain the market on where our new stadium is going to be. Um, I would say from a, a sport perspective, certainly soccer is, is a growing sport. It's the fastest growing sport in the United States over the last 10 years. You know, the average number of fans that attend an MLS match is 21,700 fans. That's more than the NBA or NHL. Right. If I walk down the street and ask 10 people that question, 10 random people, I would doubt that they would know that. And that's on us to go ahead and, and really just teach the marketplace, look, this is a growing sport. 
Um, this is the fastest growing sport and there's actually more people that attend MLS matches. You know, it's more popular in Europe and Asia than it is in the United States right now. I mean, it is a global, global sport and it's been that way for years. So I think we just have a real rare opportunity, uh, both on the partnership side when we're presenting to brands, uh, but on the, on the opportunity side. And, and I think one thing working in the NBA and working in these other leagues is a lot of your conversations aren't about price anymore. Um, value is perception. And so what's our value proposition uh, from a soccer perspective? Well, the unique thing is it's timed event. It's 90 minutes. You're in and out. Um, it's continuous action as well. And where every goal, every, every point matters. And that's, once again, a unique differentiation point for this sport as we go out to the marketplace, whether it be to businesses or individuals that might not necessarily, they, they might be more of a casual fan. They might have watched one match or gone to a Copa America match at some time in the past year, but they've never thought about owning a membership with an MLS team. They've never right. thought about buying a partnership with an MLS team. They've always been with, you know, the Lakers, the Kings, the Dodgers, whatever it might be. I think we, pro- we provide and present a rare enough opportunity um, that if we can get in the door, look, we're not trying to go ahead and, and steal market share. If you're a Rams fan, you're a Chargers fan, that's fine. We, we want you to do that. I think rising tides raise all ships, so bringing two more teams into the marketplace and a little bit of the excitement, the joy that I saw with the Rams when they came back into the city was amazing. Um, they played at the Coliseum, which ironically enough is, is Kitty Corner to, to where we're building out our new stadium. So every Rams game, we were out there activating and telling people our story, make them aware of Los Angeles Football Club. And what we found is that there's going to be a lot of crossover, I think. I think, you know, the biggest thing about L.A. is that there's 20 million people here. There, there's more than enough to go around. Now, sure. there's a lot of challenges. There's a lot of, um, I would say, competition. Uh, but I think, you know, if, if you look at it as competition, you're looking at it through the wrong lens. I think you should look at it as an opportunity and knowing that there's a lot of people that go to sporting events and, and sports is, you know, what our owners, um, one of our owners always said, it's a modern day campfire. You know, it's a really unique opportunity and sports has the, the ability to bring people together, break down barriers, uh, break down race, color, creed, and bring people together for 90 minutes or two hours or four hours. And they share a commonality, um, even though they might be coming from different parts of town because they're rooting for, for the same team. And so I think for us, we look at it as that. We look at it as uh, more of a community builder. And I think, you know, when the two Los Angeles football clubs, uh, the American football, that is, came into town, I think we're excited about it. You know, I think the fact that people are engaged and excited enough to go ahead and, and feel like that we can sustain two NFL teams is a positive thing. And that provides us more of an opportunity to have conversation with people. You talked uh, a couple times about the soccer culture, the community. What's been the biggest challenge for you? You know, is it is it hard to sell or harder, I should say, to sell to that fan than it is an NBA fan? And then along those lines, do you ever get caught? And maybe you're, you'd readily admit this, but kind of looking at who's doing it right in MLS. You know, I you know look at Portland. Seattle, unbelievable. I, I mean, the the energy at Portland. I think that's a minor league baseball stadium that they play in. I mean, correct. So, so it's not apples to apples at all, but to LA and to what the, you guys are building. But if you could just talk some about the challenges that you faced or are facing, and then two, maybe who else in the league that you look at that's like, you know what, they're doing it right, and if we can be equal to or better than them, then uh, that's a success. 
Yeah, I, I think that uh, you certainly want to go ahead and look at those that came before you. Um, you certainly want to go ahead and look at the lessons that are learned. You know, the league has grown at, a, at, a, at an extremely fast rate. Um, you look at Orlando, I'll throw that out. There's another club that's done really well coming out of the gates, NYCFC, obviously similar market. Um, Portland, you know, with their culture that they've been able to go ahead and build out in that civic pride um, and really putting the fans first. You know, they're one of the first uh, clubs, to, or one of the clubs, I would say, in most recent to come out and, and literally on the billboards, on the advertising, to, to go ahead and put faces of their fans. So that, that was really unique. And obviously, Seattle has been the mainstay um, in MLS. And, you know, for, for us, I think the beauty of what we've tried to do is, is not necessarily look at one particular team or one particular league, um, but use all the lessons learned throughout all of our history. I mean, fortunately, we've been able to assemble uh, a really diverse, strong staff across the board, across all of our different disciplines. And you start to look at it, I mean, you know, you have 100 years of experience. Um, it's not, it's, it, it would be short-sighted of us just to look at other MLS clubs. It would be short-sighted for me to go look and look at just my NBA experience and feel like that's the way to do things. But I think when we take five, six different things and throw it in the bucket and figure out, all right, how, how do we want to develop something? How do we want to create something? Um, because once again, every market, every team, every strategy is a little bit different. It's not necessarily right or wrong. There isn't any right or wrong. It's just the way we want to go about it. And so from our perspective, we've certainly looked at those other MLS clubs and try to learn as much as we can. We've talked to them quite a bit. I know I've been on, you know, probably the first six months, I uh, spoke with every single one of my peers, um, with every single one of uh, the expansion franchises in the MLS over the past five years to gain their insight. And through that, you know, I think it confirms some things, but it also will open up your eyes and say, okay, you know, that that was going to be an area that I wouldn't even thought of, uh, that, that was going to go ahead and be a blind spot, and now I can draw attention to it. And, you know, for, for us, too, um, here at LAFC, it's, I, I think it's, it's, you know, from our ownership all the way down, um, it's always been about our promise. And, and for us and what we're trying to accomplish is really to put the fan first. Um, if you take care of the fans, um, you know, they'll take care of you. And so everything, all of our decisions, whether it be on the stadium, you know, the design of the crest, the launch event on January 7th at Union Station, the location being in downtown, you know, we held our groundbreaking event on the site on August 23rd. We'll hold a foundation event coming up on the 28th where all of our originals, those that have a $50 deposit, will be able to go ahead and actually sign the concrete foundation that will be placed underneath the pitch. Just all these elements go back to how can we put the fan first? And, uh, and that's been our mindset, and I think that's something we've learned across the board, whether it's an MLS, NBA, NHL, or any of our other experiences out there. Who have been some good mentors for you over the years? And along those lines, what has been some good advice that you've received? And on the flip side, that you like to share with your team or anybody that you're talking to that's maybe trying to break into the industry? Yeah, not, another great question. Um, I, like I said, I, I think this call would probably go on for another 45 minutes if I could go ahead and, and list uh, every single mentor I, I have out. Um, and I think mentors, my mentors have evolved over the course of time. And what I mean by that is, you know, I'm you know, thir 36 now. Uh, I'm a lot different of an individual today 
than I was when I was 23 breaking into the industry. And so the mentors that I needed when I was 23 were different than what I needed when I was 28 and are much different than what I, I have today at 36. And so um, I think from that perspective, I've always tried to align myself with like-minded individuals. Um, I've always tried to go ahead and, and keep uh, my circle tight, you know, and, and, and kind of remove uh, the, the riffraff. And fortunately for me, as I mentioned previously, I, I came into the industry in an organization um, with, you know, a, a John Walker who's still in the industry, a Drew Cloud who's now with the Pittsburgh Pirates, um, you know, Mike Tillman who's with Legends, Jeff Ionella with SeatGeek, um, and the list goes on and on. A lot of the people, my peers, are now senior execs at other organizations across all the major professional leagues. But you look at those guys, I mean, they're, they're covering a, a wide array of different organizations, of different disciplines within the sports industry. And so depending on my question, depending on what guidance I'm looking for, you know, I can go to each of them and, uh, and get a little bit of a different response because each of them are unique individuals too. But I would say each of those, and then a Brendan Donahue's with the league offices at the NBA, um, those have been my major influences. A Chris Saber, who's with the New York Mets, I mean, the list goes on and on. And like I said, I've been able to go ahead and kind of seek each individual out depending on what I'm going through. Um, and one, one piece of, of, I guess, advice to an individual looking to break into the industry that still sticks with me today. Unfortunately, I, I fell into it. You know, don't choose the team and, you know, going to work for your hometown team, um, is, is, is might seem like a dream come true, but I, I think it's, uh, it, it will jade, uh, jade you. And, and I, what I mean by that is I think you're so, attached to the outcome of every single game of every single match that uh, it, it can damage your decision-making process. Um, don't look at the city. You know, I think on paper, if I would have said, oh, where do I want to go now? A kid from Michigan that's never been west of the Mississippi um, had an opportunity to move out to Phoenix, the, the land of the sun of the desert. I fortunately lucked out in that one. Um, but I would say looking back, you know, it, I didn't choose the city. I, I chose the opportunity and, you know, you never know. I think every city I've lived in uh, has been great. And I think if you look hard enough, you're going to find what you like about a city. And if you look hard enough, you're going to find some, some nuances that you might not appreciate or might not like as much. But I think it's all about perspective. And every city has been phenomenal for me. Um, I've learned a lot. And I think you know, moving across the country, what you realize is that the United States is huge. And there's a lot of different uh, people out there. And so if you can get out of your, 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 your tiny, um, I would say for me, I was in a little bit of a box in Michigan where I went to college an hour away uh, from where I grew up. It helped me expand my horizon and learn about other people's cultures and learn about other people's habits, which has been phenomenal for me too. So I think, you know, don't choose the city, don't choose the team. Um, don't choose win loss record, choose your leaders and ultimately, you know, choose your boss. If, if you feel like when you look at that individual, when you talk to that individual, um, if on a Saturday at 8 a.m., if you know you would get up for that individual and put in the extra hours at a community event or go work a sales table at a 5K, um, if you feel like you'd run through a wall for that individual, then, then you found your leader. And something I always ask in interview questions is, you know, we've all had that coach, that teacher, um, that professor who's pushed us to exceed even our own expectations and, and kind of found that fifth, sixth gear, found that extra uh, reserve tank that's who you need to align yourself with because the team, if I work for the Detroit Tigers, that that's going to wear off if I don't appreciate the person I'm working for. Um, 
the city. I love the city of Detroit. You know, I grew up an hour outside of it. But me working for the Lions, if, if the city, if I don't appreciate and, uh, and enjoy the person I'm working for, and if that person isn't pushing me to be better every single day, that's going to wear off as well. Um, and win-loss record, um, you know, certainly it's cyclical in sports. Sometimes you're going to go ahead and be at the top of the mountain. The next year you could be at the bottom. Um, I, I think to, in order to ha- handle those ebbs and flows, I would say go go to an area where you feel like I'm making a business decision. This is a business for me, me selling seats, me selling partnerships, me selling premium I- inventory. Um, I, I believe in this product, regardless of the win-loss on the court, on the field, or on the pitch. Um, it provides value, and uh, and there's certainly an opportunity for you. This is a strong investment. So I think that would be the biggest piece of advice I received early on. I try to carry through um, you know, throughout my career, and I, I certainly try to communicate that to anybody that's looking to break into the industry. Or I would say that that you know, kind of rule of thumb exists for even somebody that's 10 years in the industry, 15 years in the industry. Every once in a while we can get a little blinded on what's important to us. And, uh, and I think, you know, the short chasing, the short game chasing titles, things of that nature, those things wear off. Um, that $25,000 raise is great um, that first year, and then you know you, you, you realize you don't necessarily align with whoever your direct boss is or your leader. That $25,000 isn't, isn't worth it anymore. So I think if you, if you can go in and kind of build out um, your decision-making uh, matrix, and use that as your guideline for, for any opportunities that are in front of you, I think that would be my number one um, recommendation for folks. And really quick, we didn't even talk about Ohio. Good experience there. Glad you did it. Has it did it help in these uh, more recent uh, promotional moves for you? Yeah, great question. I was trying to find a way to fit Ohio in. I definitely got to give Got to fit Ohio uh, in, right. So I, thank you for doing that. But uh, – you know, Ohio University, once again, I, I think it, it was not planned per se. Uh, I had been in Atlanta, as you'd mentioned. You know, I'd uh, spent eight years there, but I had been there for, I think it was six. And I was I was nearing my 30th birthday. Um, and for whatever reason, maybe it was, you know, I need a new challenge or I need to figure out what's next. Started to think about not so much about what's going to happen next month or this year, but what, what's going to happen when I'm 45, what's going to happen when I'm 50. Um, and, you know, I, I remember reading a book, um, and in it they talked about the hedgehog concept. Um, and I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's three intersecting circles, and it's, you know, what are you deeply passionate about? Um, you know, what really motivates you, what, what drives your economic engine, and then what you can, can you be the best at? in the world. And those are the three questions. And I, I answered those and that helped me formulate, okay, now I know what my 20 year plan is. And for me, the thing I enjoy most and get the, the most pleasure out of is teaching and coaching and helping uh, others succeed. And so from that perspective, it's kind of the pay it forward. You know, I've had people do it for me and I want to do it for them. And I started thinking about, you know, post retirement, I would love to, to go to work at a university uh, work in academia and uh, potentially be a professor. And in order to do so, you, you have to go ahead and get a, a master's and or even more so a higher education. Um, and at that point in time, um, you know, I wasn't in a relationship. I didn't have kids. 
uh, I figured now it, it better time than ever. I had, uh, had been firmly planted in Atlanta for a good amount of time. So not, not to say I had everything figured out, but I had an amazing team around me, an amazing team of leaders and staff. And so I felt like making the sacrifice and, and adding on another layer, I'd be able to handle. And so I looked into a couple different schools, um, local, uh, Georgia, Georgia tech, looking at MBAs. And then ironically enough, Jim Kaler, who kind of heads up recruiting for Ohio University's uh, PMSA program, which is a professional master's of sports administration, reached out to me via LinkedIn why I was looking at other opportunities. And Come on. you think about, wow. you know, serendipity. I mean, how, right. how in the world does that happen? How did he know that I had even been exploring that? And after speaking with him, um, I realized that he had a very similar path. I mean, he was a VP, uh, you know, the CMO at the Cleveland Cavs. Um, and from there, he transitioned to academia. And so we talked a little bit about his past, his history, and how he made that transition. And through that, um, opened up my eyes to Ohio U. And obviously, I'd, I was aware of the university. I recruited a lot of individuals from Ohio um, and uh, and try to get them to come to Atlanta and our other places. So definitely aware of the, the, the prestige and the reputation. And I, I got to admit, it was one of the best experiences I've ever had. Um, a, it, it, it opened up new avenues. And what I mean by that. Growing up in the ticket sales world, moving from inside sales, account exec, premium, some inside sales manager, manager, director, so on and so forth, you really get in that lane and you stay in that lane and, and rightfully so try to master that lane. Um, but I, I hadn't been exposed to a ton in the HR world. I hadn't been exposed to a ton, um, I would say, in the financial uh, aspect. I had a new stadium development um, law. Um, you, you just go down the line of all the different classes that we took and all the different uh, opportunities I had to expose myself as far as uh, the, the elements of the education were phenomenal. And then even more importantly, I think the people that I was able to go ahead and gain access to, you know, our class, I think it was 25 people that, that were in that, and they go on a two-year term and it's continuous, but the bonds and the relationships that you build with those individuals, and they're coming from all walks of life. You know, I had, had an opportunity to really be exposed to a lot of people in the college landscape, and uh, the majority of the people in my class were, were in that realm. I think there was only one or, or probably, I think, one or two others that were in professional sports, one of the major five leagues. Um, and so getting exposed to all those individuals and agencies and things of that nature and the doors that Ohio U has opened and the relationships it's, uh, it's built has been phenomenal. And so, you know, I, I've spoken with a lot of my peers about going back to, 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 to go ahead and get your master's. Um, and I think, you know, the one thing I would, I would caution people uh, not to do is don't go back without a plan. You know, I think fortunate for me, I, I knew what it meant to me and I knew where it was going to take me. I, I think going back to school just to get your MBA or MSA, um, just to do it without necessarily an idea of how it's going to impact your future um, is it, short-sighted again. I think you got to have an understanding of where you want to go and what you want to do. Um, because from a career perspective, the beautiful thing about sports is, you know, especially on the sales side, numbers speak for themselves. Uh, there is a scoreboard that follows you around. And so from that perspective, any amount of education can't overcome the results that you've proven uh, in the past. And so if you have a proven track record of driving sales by 10, 15, 20% doing X, Y, and Z, that, that's going to go to stand out your resume probably more so than MB, any MBA. Um, but I think when you combine the two, if you have a proven track record, you have an idea where you want to go and, and what your plan is for your future, and then you add on that extra layer, the MBA or MSA, 
then I think it definitely can go ahead and impact your future, impact your ability to get interviews, impact potentially even decisions that those companies make on you as an individual, and probably even more so than the lessons learned, but the amount of sacrifice. Because if you're if you're going and pursuing a degree while working full time in sports, um, I think if you talk to some of the individuals that are out there doing it right now, I mean you 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 you're, you're, uh, you you understand what what it means to sacrifice. Right. Well, normally I end these conversations with what's next for you, what's next for blank. Um, I, I I know that answer. <laughs> the, the next for you is you guys are going to start playing here. Um, and I, I know it seems more than a year away or it seems far <laughs> away, but um, I, I know that you are probably the first to say that's going to be right around the corner and here sooner than everyone thinks. So uh, I will definitely be rooting for you uh, here from the East Coast. Uh, I wish you the best of luck. I'm really excited for you. And I just want to say thank you for sharing your story. You've got a, a really unique story. It's cool to hear about the personal relocations and things like that, but then also just to switch sports and and then to go somewhere where it's, okay, now we wait and work hard. And when we launch this thing, it's going to be perfect. So um, thank you for that. Thank you for the advice. And um, I appreciate you coming on. No, I, I appreciate the opportunity. And, you know, it's a, obviously a very small network of individuals within the sports realm. So amazing how we got connected through Carlos. And, uh, and yeah, I would just say uh, kind of final notes is, is be willing to take a chance. Be willing to bet on yourself. Uh, make the leap. You know, there, there isn't any sure thing, uh, any sure opportunity. Not everything is going to go ahead and be checks on the positive side. Um, sooner or later, you're going to have to go to kind of believe in your ability, believe in yourself, and, uh, and take the leap. And, you know, what's the worst that can happen? Uh, I've certainly failed multiple times, and I'll continue to fail throughout my career and throughout my personal life. But uh, I think all of us would agree that we learn a lot more from those than we do the, from our successes. And so to, to those that listen, uh, take the leap. Corey, dropping knowledge on the way out. I like it. I like trying, it. Trying, trying to. I see you. So no. Always selling, right? Uh, oh, <laughs> always be closing. Well, you just you just yeah. close this podcast well. Thank you very much, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you so much, Jake. Thanks for listening to the Front Office Exchange, where you hear about the careers of some of the leading executives in sports business. Visit us at frontofficeexchange.com, on Facebook, at Front Office Exchange, and on Twitter, at Front Office EXCH, to access past episodes, show notes, and much, much more. 